I invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20 contains the Ten Commandments. We've been working through these commandments the last couple weeks. We come to the third commandment this morning, which is Exodus 20, verse 7. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray and ask the Lord to apply this text to our hearts. Father, we have our Bibles open in front of us, read your word worshiped you, and we now want to consider what your word means, how it speaks to us now. Father, we pray that you would steer us away from anything that is untrue about your word, fill our minds with truth by your spirit, and Lord, we pray that you would give us a resolve to live by your word, that our lives might be matching what you desire for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Before the first service, we have a time of prayer. Uh, And right before we prayed, John uh, mentioned that we were going to be on the third commandment today. And he made this unusual statement. He said, I love the third commandment. I've just never heard anybody say that before. (laughs) And yet... If you know John, you know that he has the utmost sincerity and he means it. But what would make somebody love the third commandment? And the reason that he loves the third commandment is because he loves the name of God. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves his Father. And so, if you love the Lord... If you've been touched by Jesus Christ, you've received the forgiveness of sins, new life, you know God as your Father, then you love His name. If you love His name, then you love the third commandment. If you don't love God, if you don't love His name, then the third commandment just looks like another rule to be kept. Maybe something to be a little bit scared that you're going to mess it up, that this is just another demanding expectation from an unrelenting God. But if you know God as your Father and Jesus as your Savior, you love His name, and so you love the third commandment. A name has a lot to it. A name is basically, comes to be a reputation. Because associated with somebody's name or title becomes the reputation that's carried along with what that person has done or said or is. A name is a reputation. And the name that you bear in some way represents who you are, and sometimes it also bears who you are related to. We're all born into a family with a name, and so you, in some way, inherit that reputation. There's the Hatfields and the McCoys, They have a reputation. Or to modernize it a little bit, you have the Bidens and the Trumps. And if you fall into one of those families, you have a reputation that comes with it. 
And with that reputation comes associations, certain doors are open, certain doors are closed, certain advantages are given, certain disadvantages come because of the name. Some people are name droppers. They're the people who like to tell you within the first five minutes of you meeting them who they know, who they have in their cell phone, who's on their contact list, who they're texting with. Did you know that I had lunch with important so-and-so this week? Did you know that I was just texting with this famous person? They like you to know that. Sometimes they slip it in a little bit more subtly than that. But they like to drop names because associating themselves with that person builds some clout. It gets them kind of in a higher strata of society. And so there are name droppers. The third commandment, is about the name of God and how God's people use it. Israel has as their God the almighty creator of heaven and earth, the one who has all power, and they belong to him. And so they, in a sense, could become the name dropper of all name droppers because they have God as their God. Numbers chapter 6 verses 22 through 27, has the Lord giving Moses instruction about how Aaron, who would be the high priest, and his sons, who would be the priests, would bless the people of Israel. And in Numbers chapter 6, verse 23, the Lord says, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you, The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You're probably familiar with that blessing. It's a wonderful blessing that Aaron and his sons would bestow on the people of Israel and it become like an umbrella blessing over the nation. And it ends in this way in verse 27 with God saying, So, or in that way, by that blessing, shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. And so Israel as a nation, through that blessing and through a relationship with God, would have God's name kind of put on them, stamped on them, so that their association should be known to all around the world that God is their God and they're blessed by Him. And so they would have the largest opportunity to drop the name of God to their advantage. They could say... Yahweh, who delivered us out of Egypt, is our God. We have Him on our side. And yet, the third commandment is a prohibition about how not to use God's name. Although they have the most powerful, truthful, faithful, gracious, wise, just, and perfect God as their God, this third commandment describes how it is not to be misused. The name of God is to be used rightly, not wrongly. This commandment was meant to lead Israel, and by virtue of application, all those who would claim God as their God, to use the name of God thoughtfully, carefully, reverently, great attention to who the God is who you claim to belong to. The first commandment 
is you shall have no other gods before me. It is God demanding of his people exclusive devotion. The second commandment is you shall not make for yourself a carved image. That requires God's people not to make something that is going to be a false representation of God and they would not create for themselves any false ideas about who God is. It is to be that God is worshipped in truth. The third commandment is that our lives stamped with the name of God as belonging to Him and we representing Him on earth, is that our lives are to reflect who we belong to. The commandment, again very simply, is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We have to think with some level of care about what this commandment is actually forbidding. What does it prohibit What is it saying and what does it mean? And so let's spend some time thinking about this. If you've read this commandment in different translations, you'll find that English translations translate it in a variety of ways. You've heard the way that ESV translates it, which is what I use. The King James Version translates it similarly. It says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It's probably the most well-known translation. Then IV puts it this way. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Another translation, you shall not utter the name of Yahweh, of the Lord your God, to misuse it. Another translation says, you shall not make wrong use of the name of the Lord your God. Still another says, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Another one, do not use my name for evil purposes. Another one, you shall not abuse the name of the Lord your God. Another one, you shall not swear falsely by the name of the Lord your God. And one more, you are not to take up the name of Yahweh your God for emptiness. There's a variety out there of how to translate this, and it makes you wonder, okay, what's the right way? How do we get to the core of this? But we shouldn't get too worried about that, because as you listen to those, you see they're all on the same track. It's about the name of God. It's about how you use it. Uh, are forbidden from using it wrongly. But still, it's worth thinking with a little bit more care about what it is commanding of us. The literal translation, if we just try to kind of put a, uh, just a, a, a clear glass pane in front of the Hebrew, the literal translation would be, you shall not lift up, that's the literal translation, lift up or bear the name of Yahweh, your God, for what is worthless. Similar language is used in Psalm 24, verse 3. And that psalm asks the question, Who shall ascend to the holy hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? And the answer to that is, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up, it's the same word, his soul to what is false, that's the same word as vain in ours, who does not swear deceitfully. In that context, it's a, about not having our soul attached to something that's false, and that would be clearly applicable to that which is an idol. We're not to have our soul lifted up or given over to what is false. One theologian brings the matter to this conclusion. He says, The third commandment cautions against using the Lord's name falsely to buttress a truth claim that is fabricated. The point 
that's being made is that you cannot take God's name, which is associated with that which is true and holy and good and right, take it upon yourself, and then live or speak in a way that is contrary to the name that you claim to belong to. So the traditional translation of you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain is correct, but it is more than just that common association that we have with it that you can't speak God's name flippantly. It's more than that. As a kid, the way that I understood this commandment was that you are not supposed to ever, 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 ever say, oh my God. And if you did, you're probably going to hell. That was the way I understood this. And if I ever heard on a TV show somebody say that, I knew that show was from the devil. And if somebody said, oh my gosh, I knew that was a Christian show. (laughs) That's the way I thought about it. Somebody says, oh my God, it's blasphemy. They're going to hell. Six-year-old Andy, the way I thought about it. But commonly interpreted, that's all that this third commandment means. If somebody flippantly uses God's name in vain by saying, OMG, oh my God, oh my Lord, something along those lines, they limit this application to just that. But the meaning is so far beyond that that it deserves our careful application. As a matter of fact, just saying, oh my God, is not neither right nor wrong. Psalm 22, verse 2, the psalmist says, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. It depends, of course, on the heart of the person who is speaking it. That verb in the third commandment, take or misuse, is used elsewhere in Exodus in regard to a name. It essentially means to carry or to bear. It's used of how the Levites would carry the Ark of the Covenant on poles on their shoulders, and they would bear it or pick it up. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 11, it's describing the priestly garments that Aaron and his sons are going to wear. And describes in great detail what it's going to be like. And in Exodus 28, verse 11, it says, As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. That description, Aaron shall bear their names, is the same language that used in the third commandment, shall not bear up the name of the Lord in vain or for what is worthless. For Aaron and his sons, they were going to have a special garment that they would wear, the high priest would wear, and they would have jewels that had the names of the sons of Israel engraved on it, placed on the shoulders, and Aaron would bear their names before God in the tabernacle and later in the temple. It represent them wherever he went. 
bear their name. In Exodus 28, verse 21, it goes on, There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. Again, the bearing of it is the same language that's used in our third commandment. And Aaron would have not just the names on the shoulders, but also on his breastpiece, all the names engraved on 12 stones, and he would go before the Lord, bearing those names before the Lord, representing those names before the Lord. And so when it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, it means to bear his name, in a sense to represent his name in some way on yourself. It is to take the name of God and identify him with your actions and your words. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, is that famous line about, if my people who are called by my name. But notice that phrase, who are called by my name. They have God's name applied to them. These are Yahweh's people, the Lord's people. And as followers of Christ, don't we take the name of Jesus on us? What are we, what are we called? We're called Christians, people of Christ. We take the name of Christ on ourselves. And so when this is calling, this third commandment is calling the people not to take the name of God in vain, it is meaning that God's name was not to be misused in such a way that what was done and said by those people who are called by his name is contrary to what his name stands for. This is so serious that the person who takes God's name in vain or for what is worthless or contrary to his, what he stands for, that person, it says, will not be held guiltless by the Lord. This um, reality is a sobering one because there would probably be many Israelites and by application, many Christians who take on the name of God and externally they would promote themselves as being God's person, God's people, belonging to Him. And yet in their heart or in their language they lie, they don't live God's way, and they misrepresent God to the world that they live in. And nobody may know it, but God knows it. And as Galatians says, God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So you could swear in God's name, or take an oath in God's name, and lie about what you're saying, and nobody would ever know. And they would think that you are a virtuous person. But God knows. And he will not hold that person guiltless who takes his name in vain. The name of God is so holy that it encapsulates all of his reputation, all of who he is. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 10 says, Glory in his holy name. Psalm 99, verse 3 says, Praise your great and awesome name. 
The name of God represents who He is. And the reason His name is so utterly holy is because when He takes a name on Himself, whether it be Yahweh, I am who I am, which sets Himself up for everything that He is going to be, or El Shaddai, God Almighty, or Jehovah Jireh, the Lord Provider, or as we know Him, Father, or the name of Jesus, the Lord Saves, or the Holy Spirit who is our Advocate or Comforter, all of those names are to sum up His activity and His being and His holiness. And His name is so holy for this reason. He lives up to it. You may have a a family name that you well know that you don't live up to. Maybe you heard growing up, why can't you just be more like your brother or your sister or your father or your mother? You just have this shame because you just never feel like you live up to the name that you've inherited. Or you have a role or responsibility of the title of mother or father or husband or wife or whatever your job is and you have a title that goes with it and you just think, I just don't live up to it. Whatever it is, I don't live up to that title that's given to me and I don't fit into that category as much as I know I need to. I don't fill the box of all that that name entails. Well, here's why God's name is so holy. is He always fills up what His name means. If He's the Lord provider, He always provides. If He's the Lord God of truth, He always tells the truth. If He is the faithful God, He always keeps His word. If He is the one who saves, He always saves to the uttermost. And He never lets down His word or His name. He is true to His name always. In this command, the third commandment forbids His people who are called by His name from misusing His name by representing Him in a false way by their words and actions that don't correspond with who God is. This is so much deeper than just the flippant word that comes out of our mouth. Some people regard the name of God as so holy that they never use it. This became the tradition among the Jews who, when they come to the name God or the name Yahweh, they don't use it. In fact, when it's written out, it's spelled G-D. They don't even spell the whole thing to be careful about misusing the name of God. Or with the name Yahweh, simply referred to as Hashem, which means the name And so there's such a, in a sense, a reverence for the name of God or a fear of misusing it that it's not even used. But not using the name of God is a misuse of it. He gave His name to use it, to use it properly. And if you don't use it in the right way, and if you don't use it at all, it's a misuse of it. It's adding to the Word of God a restriction that He has not put in place. God does not say, do not use the name of the Lord. He says, don't misuse the name of the Lord. 
And so I think it's a, a superficial approach just to eliminate using the name of God altogether as if that is going to appease God's holiness. So much more than that. It's not just the negative of eliminating misuse of it. It's also the positive of using it rightly. When we come and don't use it all, that's in a sense a, a fake humility. Real humility happens by taking God at His word trying to know at Him as He wants to be revealed. There are a few examples in the Old Testament that give us specific instances of how God's name is misused. This may be helpful to us to understand in a concrete way the way that God's name can be misused. Do a little bit of a survey here. Leviticus chapter 19 is probably the most popularly used illustration of the misuse of God's name. Leviticus 19 verse 12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. This pictures somebody who would go under oath and takes God's name as what they swear by to verify that what they are about to say is true. And yet we all know that people often lie under oath. And so what the person is doing is they're saying, I want the truthfulness of God to be applied to my lie so that it will be believed by more people. What a horrific thing to misuse the utter truthfulness of God to try to advance your lie. How many politicians have we seen place their hand on a Bible and take an oath of office and then do nothing like what their oath of office demands of them? They're swearing by the God of the Bible that they're going to do what they say they will do and they try to make it look legitimate by harnessing the virtue of God's truthfulness and apply it to their lie. So when someone makes a statement under oath, sworn before God, and that statement is false, they have invoked God to affirm a lie as true. This is horrific. A horrific misuse of the name of our God who is truth. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 21 gives us another illustration. Leviticus 18 verse 21 says, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Molech is a false god that demanded child sacrifice. It goes on in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3. Say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my name. The instance here is 
one of the people of Israel or somebody dwelling among the Israelites who has God's name applied to them decides that they want to bring in some pagan practices, including offering their child, and do it in a sense in the name of Yahweh to associate Yahweh's name with this horrific practice and thereby showing that Yahweh approves of what they are doing. But what they are doing is something that the true God finds abominable. How dare you try to apply His holy name to something that He hates? I'm sorry to continue to use uh, political illustrations of this, but in politics there's so many breaking of the Ten Commandments, it's just easy. But it comes to mind that just a little while ago there were billboards that were plastered around by the governor of California who quoted Jesus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and he used that to advocate abortion. How dare you associate the God of life with that horrible practice of sacrificing children. That's a misuse of God's name. It is offering it to what is worthless. It has no place among God's people. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 30 is another illustration. There it says, For the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord, and they have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. Here again, you have people misusing God's name by associating God with idolatry. And you try to make a mismatch of true religion of Yahweh with false religion of paganism and try to get the stamp of approval by combining the two and having God's name overarch it. But again, he does not tolerate that. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 39, the Lord says, As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Go serve every one of you his idols, now and hereafter, if you will not listen to me. But at my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. God is calling out those people who take Yahweh's name upon them, and try to match it together with false worship. He basically says, if you're going to go after false worship, go after that, but don't drag my name into it. It's profaning his holy name. The last one is Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. As the Lord speaks to the priests, he says, a son honors his father and a servant his master, If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. They're despising his name by not rendering to God what he deserves. Even though they're trying to still bear his name as priests. He does not tolerate his name not receiving the honor that is do. This commandment really touches the whole of our life. Those who are called Christians, those who belong to God through Christ, have to be aware that the whole of your life is associated with the name of God, and He doesn't want His name dragged through the muck and the mire with misrepresentation. 
There's, of course, the easy applications of this, just in the external applications, referring again to the ubiquitous use of kind of the filler for our exclamations, oh my God, if that's a part of your vocabulary, you should consider what you are actually doing in that moment. As you come to some moment of surprise or exclamation and you just fill in with this thoughtless exclamation, what are you doing? Well, in a sense, you are invoking God as present in that moment, though you aren't really thinking about Him as all at all. It's not just the phonetic sounding of the words that matters. It's not just the, the saying of it. It's the thoughtlessness behind it that doesn't even regard the God of the universe as anything more than an exclamation. Some people call on God regularly to curse things to hell. They wish that God would damn something. They say it so flippantly, so much without thought. And again, it's not just the the phrase that you just kind of plug your ears if you hear it. It's the thoughtlessness behind it that the Almighty God who has power to send a soul to hell would be invoked in a thoughtless moment to curse something as frivolous as a dishwasher or a car. It's the thoughtlessness that indicts the wrongness of it. When God Almighty possesses all strength, we ought not to refer to Him so flippantly. Some people invoke God to testify to the truthfulness of their claims all the time. They would say, I swear to God that I didn't take that last cookie. I swear to God that I'll be there at 6 o'clock. I swear to God that I'm going to pass this test tomorrow. Whatever it is, it's an immediate invoking of God to testify to the veracity of their words. Really? Do you really want God to be your judge on that? Do you really want Him to witness for you or against you as to whether you're going to keep your word? Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37, seems to take application of this where he says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Jesus is expecting the whole of our language to be true and sincere, not just when we take an oath. God is witness to all of it, and so we ought to always be aware of what words we are saying. This command, like the other of the Ten Commandments, reveals the human heart capacity for sin and evil. You might think for a moment about Israel's situation. Here they are, just a little while ago, having been enslaved in Egypt, 
horrible conditions, having to make bricks without straw more and more according to Pharaoh's dominion. And then by God's sheer grace and power, he delivers the people out of Egypt, gives them a promise of bringing them into a land, shows his power by dominating the Egyptians, shows his kindness by providing for them in the wilderness by manna and quail and water. And you come to the third commandment that says you shall not misuse the name of the Lord or take it in vain. And you think, well, who in the world would ever do that? Why would they even think of using God's name in a worthless way? After all that he's done for them, after all that he's shown them, after all that he is, why would you treat him this way and misuse his name? And yet here this commandment stands as a testimony to the corruption of our heart that we would take the good God and all that he is and try to use him as a cloak for our sin. God, at the start, has to prohibit his people from misusing his great name because he knows that their inclination is to do what is evil and to abuse his name. We take that which is good and misuse it to our sinful advantage or our unthinking abuse. And again, for those who do this, they will not be held guiltless. As we think about the application of this to the Christian, we need to think about what Jesus said in Matthew 5, where he said that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. We have to ask the question, how did he fulfill this third commandment? How did he fulfill it? He fulfilled it in a couple of ways. The first way, and probably most obvious way, is that he kept this commandment perfectly. Not just the negative side of not misusing the name, but on the positive side of using the name of God completely, perfectly his whole life. Jesus prays in John 12, 28, Father, glorify your name. And then he prays again in John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And then just a verse later in John 17, 6, Jesus prays this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Jesus fulfills this commandment by living a life that glorified God in all elements of his life. So much so that when people look at Jesus, they see the perfect representation of the Father. They see God as he is completely, so much so that Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And as Paul says in Colossians 1.15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He bore the name of God so perfectly that as you look at him, you see who God is. Jesus says in John 17.12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. And he goes on in verse 26 of John 17, I have made known to them your name, 
and I will continue to make it known. Jesus shows us God's name perfectly. Of course he does. But do you know what happens? When you come to faith in Christ, you believe in him for the forgiveness of your sins, you're saved. You know what happens? What Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, he said, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in what? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Those who come to Christ are baptized into the name of God. So that's like a naming ceremony so that you are so now identified with God that that's the family you belong to, the family of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now you have like this stamp on you wherever you go that your family name, my last name is Craig, is not the primary name that I bear. Now I bear the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 14 verse 1 referring to those representations of, of saints who worship the Lamb. They are the ones who had His name, the name of the Lamb, and His Father's name written on their foreheads. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, whether you know it or not, you take the name of God on you wherever you go, whatever you do, and whatever you say. So, how are you to use his name? How should you use it? It's very simple. Live like you belong to him. That's what this commandment is about. Don't live, don't believe, don't act, don't speak in such a way that your life contradicts the name that God has put on you. All of your life lived to the glory of the name of God. Is Jesus your Savior? Is God your Father? Is the Spirit your Advocate? Do you bear his name on your life? Is your life marked by representing him? Live like it. Don't get caught up in the externals. Make your heart, make sure your heart is fixed on the holy God and follow him and trust him. Just briefly want to say, to anyone who's feeling like, wow, I've just messed all this up. The one that God is not going to hold, the one that God is going to hold guilty is the one who doesn't have forgiveness in Christ Jesus. There is forgiveness. We all mess it up. We all sin. The point is not going on and living like a hypocrite and trying to have God cloak an evil life and give credence to the evil that you continue to live in. The point is, go and confess to God. Trust in Christ. Look to Him at the cross and the risen Savior who paid the complete debt. And trust Him who bore the name of God perfectly. And there's your forgiveness. There's your life. And ask for Him to give you the resolve to live for Him in a way that honors His name. 
Don't want you leaving if you know Christ, feeling like you are under the guilt of your sin. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But if you don't know Christ, come to Him. Find forgiveness. Give up the hypocrisy and find life in Christ and know what it means to live for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we know that your name is holy. The angels surround your throne in heaven and that's all they cry out day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the one who is and one who was and the one who is to come. Father, we fall short in so many ways in representing you in this world. We don't bear your name as we ought to. Forgive us, Father. Do you even convict us of ways that we need to be made aware of? Oh God, we want to worship and adore you as you deserve with the whole of our life. And may your name and the glory of your name spread to the ends of the earth. And help us, Lord, to be a part of that by representing you well and not misusing your name. Help us, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.